Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for this time you have given us today to worship you. And we thank you for the privilege we have as your people to be able to gather together as a community, thinking upon, meditating upon, upon just your goodness, your graciousness, and to be able to worship you together, to learn about you, to grow together in you. And Father, we pray today that as we delve into this passage, that you would again remind us of who we are, but also how truly amazing you are. And we pray that we will respond with more faith and with this glorious praise and honor unto you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's passage is again coming from the book of Matthew chapter 5. We've been on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we haven't really gone verse by verse, but we've kind of been slowly going through the passage, and today we are at a passage known as, uh, I think a lot of people would think of it as anger, I guess, uh, and uh, we're going to just kind of look into this passage, and we're going to really think about how Jesus takes these, these laws in the Old Testament that seem like they're all about externals, and he really tries to show us that the law of God is not about just behavior and externals, but really it's about the internal, right? It's a matter of the heart. Um, it's, as I go into the passage, uh, I just wanted to share something. I remember, I think it was the late 90s, pretty popular movie. I'm, I'm guessing some of the people that are more my age bracket might have seen it, but it was called, the movie called Jerry Maguire. I don't know if you've seen it, and it was pretty popular, and it had a couple of lines in there that people remember, like, show me the money, and you complete me. But there was a scene in that movie that resonated with me when I saw it. And I mean, in the 90s, I was, you know, I was pretty young. Uh, but I remember there was a scene in the movie where I think Jerry Maguire, you know, played by Tom Cruise, had gotten married. And they were looking at a wedding video of the, obviously, the, the, the ceremony. And as, as the video is zooming in on Jerry Maguire's face, he's not smiling. Right? He doesn't look very happy at all. And he just kind of looks serious. He kind of looks unhappy. And obviously... It's a bad omen to come, because clearly at that point in the movie, he is not in love with the woman who was, who was his wife. And so after that movie aired, and I've been to many weddings, you know, as a participant, as an officiant, you know, different things, as, you know, as a groomsman, and everybody at a wedding looks at the bride, right? She's the, she's the show, right? She's coming down the aisle. I don't. I mean, I do, but I, you know, I focus on the groom. You know, when the bride comes in down the aisle, I always look at the groom. I look very intensely at the groom because what I want to see is how happy is he, right? Is he really happy that he's getting married today? And, you know, generally the groom obviously is, you know, they light up. They get really excited. Sometimes they tear up as the bride is coming down the aisle. But because I want to see, hey, it's not just about, obviously, you know, the vow of marriage is it's binding before the Lord, before the church, before your community. But 
I want to see where, where is your heart at? I know you're going through this action today, but I want to know where is your heart at today? And kind of, that's kind of what Jesus is talking about today. We see these laws from the Old Testament, and I'm going to expound upon it. And I want to ask today, Jesus is saying, where is your heart at? What is the heart behind your actions, your words, behind you? And so today, we're going to look at this passage, and really, it's, you know, we're going to talk about how it's a matter of the heart, and there's three points that I want to make today. And the first one is a deeper look at murder and anger. Second point is an example of contemptuous anger. And thirdly, an example of resolving broken relationships, right? So we're looking at a deeper look at murder and anger, an example of contemptuous anger, an example of resolving relationships or resolving broken relationships. And so the first thing I want to look at is a deeper look at murder and anger. Now, if you look at the passage today, Jesus starts by saying, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, if you look at verse 21 onwards, you're going to see this little pattern. You have heard that it was said, or, you know, it was said. Now, one of the things I want to point out here before we get into this is that Jesus is not necessarily only talking about Scripture. When Jesus quotes the Old Testament, generally he'll say, it is written, right? Because it is written in the Word of God. When he's saying, you have heard that it was said, he's pretty much saying, this is what the Old Testament says, this is what people, rabbis especially, have taught about the Old Testament. So what Jesus is going to be doing from verses 21 to 48, the rest of this passage, this chapter, is he's going to show people, his disciples, maybe the Pharisees, other people that are in the crowd, he's going to show people that the way that you have been taught the Old Testament, the Word of God, is sometimes either incomplete or sometimes just flatly wrong. And in this particular passage today, he's going to show us that it's not complete enough what you're being taught. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of all, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, that's, that's, that sounds fair, right? In the Old Testament, we know the Ten Commandments. Commandment number six is thou shall not murder, right? That is literally in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments. So we know that. It's a quote. Now, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That is being taught by, you know, different rabbis, and yet... That's kind of in line in many ways with the Old Testament because the punishment for murder was death. And so he's showing us, okay, you should not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That sounds fair. And honestly, most societies would agree that murder is very bad. Even in our society today, obviously, murder is considered as capital punishment. It's, it's a big deal. It's a big punishment that comes with that if you're convicted of that. That's a good thing. But now, Jesus is going to go one step further, verse 22, and he's going to show us that that's not enough. Well, you're being taught that murder, obviously, is serious, and if you murder somebody, you'll be liable to judgment, meaning probably there may even be a death penalty involved here. That in and of itself, okay, but Jesus is showing us that teaches us only externals. That teaches us 
that as long as you don't kill someone, as long as you don't physically go and murder somebody, you are okay. You have kept the sixth commandment. That is what you believe. That is what you were taught. And verse 22, Jesus says, no, but that is not enough. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoa. Think about that. He says, if you are angry with your brother, you are guilty of breaking the sixth commandment. Now, if I ask this room, how many of you have murdered someone, my guess is that no hands would go up. If I asked you, how many of you have been angry at a brother or a sister, I would, I would believe that every hand would go up. Right, because we have all been angry. And if your hand doesn't go up, then I would say, now you are breaking a different commandment, right? <laughs> because we've all been angry. And Jesus is taking it to a different level. Don't think just because you haven't killed anyone, just don't think just because you haven't actually murdered someone, you're good. No, no. I say to you, he said, I'm superseding the teaching of all your other teachers. I'm taking you back to the Old Testament. I'm interpreting the Old Testament for you. And I, with authority, I say to you, if you are angry, with your brother, you'll be liable to judgment. He's saying, what? What leads to murder? It's that anger, right? It's that hatred that we have inside, that scorn, that contempt. It could be an anger that explodes. It could be a slow-burning anger. But that anger is what leads, ultimately, if you keep going with it, to the sin of murder. And he's saying that heart that you have, that anger, that hate, that scorn that you have inside, that resentment, he's saying that's murder of the heart. He's saying that is a big deal. And I heard an example of, of an acorn. Now, when you take an acorn and you look at an acorn, it just looks like an acorn. There's very little. Animals eat it. And yet, inside of the acorn are the seeds that leads to what? A tree. And so just that acorn itself is totally, the potential is there to turn into a tree. The anger in our hearts, the contempt, the resentment, the bitterness that we have in our hearts is the seed that turns into murder. And so really I think what Jesus is teaching us is the difference between you and someone who is murdering is not necessarily a qualitative difference, it is a quantitative difference. That is why Paul the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, what did he say? He says, I am the chief of sinners. That's what Paul says. After he's been redeemed, after he's become a Christian, he says, I am the chief of sinners. How can he even say that? This is the Apostle Paul. Is he just saying, saying hyperbole? No, what he's saying is he has a quality in himself, in himself as a sinner to do the same thing that a murderer does you fertilize that sin, right, that anger, that resentment, and you let it grow. And so the difference for all of us is that it's a quantitative thing, that anger, that resentment, is really murder of the heart. And if you let that thing fertilize and grow, obviously, you can turn it into an action of murder itself. And Jesus is saying, don't think just because you haven't killed anyone, just because you haven't murdered anyone, you're all good. No, he says, you are a murderer in your heart. And he said, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, he continues, 
The second point here is, okay, so we just looked at a deeper look at murder and anger, but now an example of this kind of anger, and he gives an example. Verse 22, second half, he says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, he's given us an example of what this anger looks like. It's words, right? It's not action, it's not murder, but it's this murderous anger that we have, and we insult somebody, and the word here, in the ESV, it says whoever insults his brother. Uh, in the Greek, really, what they do is they use an Aramaic word called raka here. If you say raka to your brother, you will be liable to the council. And raka in Aramaic means empty head, idiot, but really, if you look at it, it means... I consider you as a nobody, right? You're an empty head. You're an idiot. I consider you as a nobody. It's kind of an indifference towards you. I think you know what that means. When we get angry, we can explode with rage, but also we can just say, you know what? You are dead to me. You're a nobody to me. You are nothing. You're just an empty head. And we insult that person, but also what is my posture towards you? I'm killing you. You're a nobody. You're not even worth it. And that's the kind of attitude we often tend to have. And Jesus is saying, if you have anger that leads to that kind of behavior, that kind of words, he's saying, to give you an example of the kind of murder in your heart that you are doing. Say, this is dangerous. We might think our words don't mean anything. It means a lot. Especially in their society, words had a huge impact because your name was a big deal. And he's saying, if you use this kind of language, with that kind of heart is an example of that murder in your heart. And he gives another example. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Liable to the council, liable to the hell of fire. And here he uses the Greek word mor- moros, which it's where we get the word moron, right? It means you fool, you idiot. They're kind of similar, but a little different. Um, commentators will say that word for you fool is not so much talking about your IQ level, but more of a moral sense. Morally, you're an idiot. You are a moron. You are a fool. So here he's saying, what are different ways your anger comes out? Yeah, it could come out as murder. You could hurt somebody physically, but you have that anger in your heart, and it comes out with sharp tongue lashings, right? sharp words that cut down, that break people down, that make people feel not confident, that make people feel ashamed, that make people feel just torn apart. You could call somebody a nobody, or you could call somebody a fool and question their morality, question their righteousness, question who they are as a person, and we do things like that. Elsewhere, in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about it. He says, don't use your words with corrupt, corrupting words that tear people down. He says what? To use your words to build up, to encourage. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you, if you're a disciple of mine, if you're a child of God, he's saying, you are supposed to have a heart that loves God and loves neighbor. You're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you are filled with that kind of love, obviously you encourage people, right? You help people. You bless people. But he's saying, if you are corrupted in that, and you have anger, resentment, bitterness, contempt, and scorn in your heart, you are committing the sin of murder in your heart, 
and you show it even with your words, as you scorn people, as you show words of contempt, as you rip people down, and you say things like, you fool, right? Your moral character is terrible, right? You're a nobody. You are worthless. What does he say? You're ripping people down. You're tearing people down. And he says, you are committing murder in your heart. You are breaking the sixth commandment. You're liable to judgment. You're liable even to the hell of fire. He's saying, take this seriously. And that's important for us. It's important for me, I think it's important for you that all of us need to take this seriously. A lot of times, what do we do? Yeah, I get angry sometimes. I've exploded. Oh, I shouldn't have said those words. I know they were hurtful. I know Jesus says don't get angry like that. I know James even talks about you know, the sin in our hearts, and John talks about how if you hate your brother, right? And yeah, the Bible says it, but it's impossible. How do I not get angry? It's impossible. They're so annoying. If, only, if they were a little bit more loving, a little bit more lovable, I wouldn't be so angry at them. We make excuses. We get angry at our coworkers, at our school friends or classmates. We get angry at our neighbors. We get angry while we're driving. Right? I'm sure some of you might have gotten angry this morning or this afternoon drive on your way here talking about how people are terrible drivers. But we also get angry at the people we love the most our spouses, our children, our parents, our siblings. We say, I love you, and then two seconds later, we explode, or we just get bitter, we just resentment at them. And what are we doing? We are committing murder in our hearts. Jesus is saying, that's a big deal. You need to fix that. You need to resolve that. And then he shows us how big a deal it is. Again, in verse 23, he continues. That's the third point, right? First point was a deeper look at murder and anger. Second point, an example of this kind of anger. And lastly, an example of resolving the fruit of this kind of anger, resolving the broken relationship. He says, all right, you get angry like this, what happens? You're gonna, your relationships are going to get broken. They're going to get messed up. So then in verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And you remember there that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, imagine this. You go to the temple, right? You bring a gift, like an animal sacrifice, and you're, and you're worshiping God. That's part of what they did. That was the ritual. That was important. And obviously, you know, you're, you're, you're bringing that gift. It's a big deal. Right, you're worshiping the Lord. And then you remember as you're about to do this, oh, man, my brother, my sister, they're mad at me. They have something against me. Now, the implication here is it's my fault. I did something wrong. I did something wrong. They're upset with me. What am I supposed to do? I would think most of us will probably continue to get I'm already here. I got the animal. The priest is right there. I, I was probably waiting in line for this. Let me do what I got to do. And then maybe afterwards, I'll go, I'll go talk to them. Jesus says, no. It is so important for you to make this right. It is so important for you to resolve the conflict, to mend the relationship. It is so important for you to love your brother, to love your sister. He says, what? Drop it. Don't bring me fake Worship. He's saying if your heart is messed up, 
and it is angry, and it is resentful, and you're hurting other people, and you don't care. And then you come over here, and you bring the sacrifice, you come to the altar, and you want to worship me. He's saying, I don't even want that kind of worship. He's saying, do what's right. What's in your heart? If you want to come with me, I want you to have a heart of worship. So what? What's more important at that moment is not to finish the thing that you were doing at the altar. No, no, no. Just put it down. Go to that brother. Go to that sister. You know, confess your sins. Ask, repent. Ask for forgiveness. Do what you got to do. Be reconciled right, to the best of your ability. Obviously, if they don't want to be reconciled, because there's nothing you can do in that sense, but do your part, be reconciled, and then come back. What is he saying? He's saying, I don't want you just to go through the motions. I don't want you to rip your relationships apart with anger and resentment and contempt and then come to my father's house and act like you're holy and be worshiping him and then go back out and do the same thing. He's saying, that doesn't work because that is not a heart of worship. He's saying, your heart is messed up. So you need to fix that because worship is not just about coming to the temple and bringing you offerings. And worship is your whole life. How do you live your life? If it's a heart of worship, that means it's a heart of love and it has to be consistent. Because the vertical, my relationship with God, is 100% connected to the horizontal relationship I have with everybody else. Right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. If I love God, truly love God, then I will love those around me. And if I truly love those around me with the love of Christ, then I will love God. They're 100% connected. So there is an inconsistency. If I say I love God, if I say I give my life to the Lord, if I say it's all about you, Jesus, I sing the songs, I read the scriptures, I hear the sermons, and I want to live and I serve, and then I say I hate this person, I hate that person, I can't stand this person, I can't forgive this person, I'm so angry at this person, it doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent because love of God and love of my brother and sister is so closely intertwined. If I love God more, I will love my wife more. If I love God more, I will love my kids more. If I love God more, I will love my fellow church members more. And on and on and on. There is a direct correlation there. And so Jesus says here, it's about your heart. God wants your heart, not just your actions. We can fake it. Right? We can be really angry at somebody and hate them, and we could kiss up to them, but maybe they're my boss. We can act nice just because I want a good reputation. Right? We, can, we can be fake. Some of us are probably amazingly good at doing that. But he's saying, that's not what I want. I don't want you to fake it. I don't want you to fake it at church. I don't want you to fake it in your relationships. He's saying, I want your heart to truly love the Lord and to love your neighbor. I remember one of my professors in seminary, uh, Dr. Paul Tripp, he gave this example that I always found very helpful. And he called it fruit stapling. And he, he gave this example of a husband and wife, and you know, they have a house, and they have an apple tree outside of their house. And the apples are rotting. Right? They're messed up. They're bearing bad fruit. So the wife says to the husband, honey, I want you to do something about this. I want you to fix this tree. 
I think most husbands will say, honey, I, there's nothing I can do, right? Like, what can I, how can I fix a tree? Like, how can I fix the fruit? But this husband decides, I'm going to do something about it. So what he does is he, he takes down all these rotting, nasty apples off the tree. Then he runs over to the supermarket, grocery store, and he buys a bunch of red, bright, delicious-looking apples. Then he brings it home, and he gets one of those like, industrial stapler things, right? And he just staples all of these beautiful, juicy-looking apples all over the tree. Now, Nate says to his wife, take a look. Take a look at the tree. Now, from a distance, you look at that tree. It looks beautiful. Whoa, honey, what did you do, right? You're like a miracle worker. You're a superhero. How is that even possible? But if you get closer, you'll notice, whoa, wait. These things are stapled on to the tree. And just wait a week. Wait two weeks. What's going to happen? All of those apples, delicious-looking apples, are going to rot again and fall to flame. It's going to look even worse than it did before. And the point that he was making is, he said, that's what we do so often. He said, we fruit staple. He says, we have issues. But what do we do? We don't change our hearts. We don't even care about our hearts. We care about our behaviors. Fix the behavior. Stop cursing. Stop hitting. Stop saying those things. Put on a smile, if, even if you don't mean it. Now, I'm not saying it's, not, it's bad to have courtesy and obviously have decorum and assume to act right. But what the point was this. He's saying it's not enough to put a Band-Aid on a problem. You've got to get to the root of the problem. And that's what Jesus is saying. Murder, okay. Don't commit murder. Stop it, right? Don't hit somebody. Stop it. Don't hurt somebody physically. Stop it. But, you know, even if you put a murderer, a mass murderer in jail, that person is still a murderer. They just can't act upon it at the moment. If you restrain somebody from doing something evil, the person hasn't changed. They're just restrained. And then as you get older, to get more sophisticated, even if I hate you and I'm so angry at you, even if I don't say mean words, even if I don't do anything to show it, I haven't changed as a person. I'm just faking it at the moment. I'm restraining it. Nothing has really changed. And sooner or later, that true self is going to come out. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying it's not good enough to be fruit stapling. It's not good enough to put on a band-aid. It's not good enough to just put on a show and act like you're okay externally. He says, what I want is your heart. I don't want a heart of anger. I don't want a heart that's full of, you know, just jealousy and bitterness and hatred and envy. Say, I want a heart that loves the Lord. And I want a heart that loves the people around you. Well, so here's the question. How? How do I get that kind of heart? And obviously we're going to say, yeah, through prayer, yeah, through meditating on the scriptures, yeah, through coming to worship and worshiping the Lord and thinking about his grace, yeah, through sermons and Bible studies and obviously through community and being reminded of the gospel, all of those things. But here's the thing. I'm hoping in the midst of those things, what are we being reminded of? We have to be in the midst of all of that to be meditating upon Christ. We have to be reminded of who Christ is because if anyone has a right to be truly angry, 
And by the way, a little side note here, the Bible does separate righteous anger and unrighteous anger. There is such a thing as righteous anger. And obviously in this passage, it's not talking about righteous anger. It's talking about unrighteous anger, right? Because it's the unrighteous anger of selfishness and pride and it's all about me. But if anyone truly had a right to be angry, obviously it's, it's God. He has a right to be angry at all of us because we're sinners. And he has a right, and he should actually take his wrath and pour it upon us, sinners. Every single one of us. But what does Jesus do? And we see it. He says, I love my people so much. Jesus actually, who himself is the second person in the Trinity, he's God, instead of pouring his wrath on us, he goes to the cross and he takes the wrath of God upon himself. It's actually really crazy. He goes to the cross and he actually says to his own father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And what does he go through at the cross? The anger that should be coming at me, at you, he takes that wrath in full for his people. Because that is how much he loves his people. And then he says, because I love you this much, I want you to know this love that I have for you that would even lead me to take that anger upon myself, that wrath upon myself. And as that love, that gospel changes your heart, obviously I want you to worship the Lord with grateful hearts, but now instead of pouring your wrath upon others and your anger and murdering in your heart, Christ is saying, let your heart be changed as you meditate upon this love that I have and start loving your brothers and sisters, praying for them and being kind and reconciling as you show the love of Christ that you have received in your relationships. And my prayer this afternoon is that in our church, that will be what we do, that we'll continue to meditate upon Christ that we would have hearts of love for our God, but also for our brothers and our sisters. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for you are so good. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love and your grace. We are reminded today that though we may not physically murder we are often murdering in our hearts with our anger, with our contempt, with our scorn, with our hatred. And Father, we ask, we ask that you would change our hearts, that you would help us to see more of Christ's heart of love, and that will supernaturally move in our hearts that we may love as we have been so deeply loved. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.